Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Operation History. It's a new year, but the same old pod. Um, a podcast where history is more than what you remember. Uh, tonight, the digital table is filled, and for a very special reason. Um, so, tonight we have Maria. Hi. We have Lauren. Hello. And if you have not figured it out yet, it's Tibbs here. And we are not alone tonight because we have a very special guest, um, a friend from college, our friend, Crystal. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on. I am super honored and thrilled to be here. So yeah, my name is Crystal, um, born and raised in Rhode Island. I met these guys through college. We were in Rhode Island College. Oh, my God. Did I forget the name of it? Rhode Island College Educators of Social Studies. Of course, I didn't forget the name of it. Rick Sess. Yeah, there. Rick Sess represent. And yeah, I'm proud to say I have a degree in history from Rick. And I'm super excited to talk about the Romanoffs with you guys today. It's been one of my favorite projects to work on. You also have a master's degree, don't you? I do. I have a master's degree in teaching English as a second language, but I don't really use it so much right now because I'm not a practicing teacher, so... But thanks for shouting that. <laughs> Swear you gotta give them. <laughs> and Crystal, I'm gonna I want you to keep that ELL T cell in the back of your mind because I might ask you a question towards the end about T cell. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so before we get started with this month's episode, which is on the Romanov family. Uh, Crystal, is there anything else that you want to introduce about the topic before we really dive into it? Um, I just think that this is such a really interesting and engaging topic. And a lot of the ideas, too, that we'll talk about today, I think they're going to really parallel with things that are still going on modern day. Um, as Dr. Schneider said, history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. And I think I think we'll see that a lot today. <laughs> So who, um, so before we continue on, the Romanov family that we're going to be discussing today is none other than the Russian Romanov family, the dynasty that ruled Russia for over 300 years um, mm -hmm. until 1917, 1918, when the revolutions took place and the monarchy was cast down and mm -hmm. the Soviet Republic was put up in its stead. Yep. For for those who do not know, the Soviet Republic, which is where Russia, Ukraine, and the Eastern European nations are today, um, was engaged in World War One. We did have a World War One episode called The Christmas Truce. So if you need more context on World War One, go ahead and find yourself over to that episode. So Russia is dealing more primarily in the Eastern Front. And World War One is one of the major flashpoints that brings down the Romanovs and allows for the communist takeover of, of the Russian Empire into the USSR. There were other boiling points that got the Romanovs in hot water, which I'm sure we all did research on, and that will come out as we have our conversations. But World War One did play a massive role in that mm -hmm. and gave rise to the Soviets and kind of the brutal end of monarchy for that age. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, everything you said is completely right. And to add on to that too, I feel like 
Um, Nicholas also, he was just so out of touch with what being a czar needed to be or being an absolute monarch needed to be. Like he completely ignored and neglected his um his subjects. He he fervently and like genuinely believed that God gave him the ability or gave his family divine right to rule. Um and he also like he really was not catching up with the times either. It really is like a common thing in history to say like Russian is like 50 years behind Europe. And it's it's true in this context too, because um at this time a lot of places in Europe were not liking the idea of absolute monarchy. Even England for hundreds of years hadn't had an absolute monarchy for what since the Magna Carta in 1215. So Matter of fact, too, Nicholas and King George V, they were cousins. And if, you've, if you guys have ever seen pictures of these two guys, they look like identical twins. It's so funny. <laughs> and like, but it's it's so weird. I don't think I'd be able to tell them apart if I met them in person. But um, how different they were in terms of like how they ruled is very striking. Like George, he listened to, you know, the constitutional monarchy. He listened to his people whereas nicholas was like nope god this is all god um even like bad things that happened during his monarchy he thought it was all part of god's like bigger plan to save humanity um so at that point that just left the people feeling really hopeless another thing too was like alexandra his wife the Tsarina, she was german so there's so many anti-german sentiments like they thought she was a spy um but she, her heart was really in the right place. She was a really great wife to the czar. Um, she was very zealously religious, um, which also kind of contributed to their naivety and like not really improving. Um, they just were like, nope, God's got it. This is all part of God's plan. Um, and she also believed um, infamous characters like Grigory Rasputin and brought him into the fold, which also didn't help when the public saw that um so it was like it was literally the perfect storm um prior to that too in 1905 there was like a little revolution that happened but the imperial army squashed it so the subjects then referred to him as bloody nicholas so he was already hated um and yeah it was literally just world war one happening too was just the perfect storm for um the russian monarchy to fall and with that, I know Maria had a couple things that you wanted to bring up too. So besides the bloody Sunday, mm -hmm. um, wasn't it also because of the way that the Russian monarchy had been set up at that point with serfs being absolutely crushed while the nobles flaunted uh, their power and their property? Yes, Absolutely. And that also contributed to to like the the idea that God gave them the right to rule because the poorer people were were so they believed that wholeheartedly like they thought that the king and queen were like figures of God. So when once they started to see though that that break a little bit, then they were like, wait, are they really picked by God? And then they started to hear things said by Lenin, um, and you know, and the Bolsheviks. So. That definitely, definitely contributed to it. So, yeah. 
Oh, I have a ton of talking points. Um, Speak. <laughs> so, like, a lot of them you said, but, like, I'm, uh, we'll go back and circle on them. So, like, I know, um, so the way we usually do this is everybody will kind of research a certain aspect of the topic so that we're not cool. overlapping each other. So a lot of my research and talking points that you and I can banter on kind of focus on the lead up to the assassination because mm -hmm. I always found, I mean, other than, I, I, so I first heard about, and this, this is one of my questions I have for you. I first heard about the Romanoff family from an animated movie. Before then, I had never, you know, heard of them and whatnot, but I was seven when that movie came out. So one of the questions I have for you is, when presented with the idea of doing an honors thesis, why did you choose this topic of the Romanov family? Well, it was, it's just like, it's kind of like a true crime story. And you really kind of, like, all people had to do at this time was guess. Um, like right when the story came out, um, the Bolsheviks, they confirmed immediately that Nicholas had been killed, but then they were kind of like, oh, well, the rest of the family, they're taken to a safe place. But that was never, <clears throat> excuse me, that was never like confirmed as to where they were. So that led to a lot of speculation. And obviously, like in the early 1900s, there was no forensic science or anything like that. Like, even the autopsy they did on Grigori Rasputin at the time wasn't great. Um, but it's kind of like that. It's like using new technology to find out what happened in the past. And I think that that's so fascinating because literally for 90 years, people just guessed. And like, one guy was correct. Like, there there was a, some reporters in Europe that were like oh no like the Anastasia could still be alive like that that definitely did happen there was a story that went ran wild in Europe and then that was made into the movies and stuff but even in the movies they're, they're like this isn't her so it, they kind of are like they know but I feel like a little tinge of hope is there um and yeah I just think that all of that is really interesting and the fact that it's like prevalent there's so many aspects of the story are prevalent in our society like the movie um the song Ra Ra Rasputin lover of the Russian queen like there's that there's also that one which like both of those between the movie and then I know there was a video game that uh took that song and kind of reintroduced it to a new generation so yeah there's little well, like are you talking um, about let's dance yes yes, yes. Um, but that's, there's, there's these little crumbs of this story that kind of have popped up in our society. It's so true. You know, and like, it, it, it is, it's a true, it's like a true crime story, yeah. but it's, there's something so disgustingly tragic about it. Yeah. Every time, and like rereading your paper again, uh, you just feel for them, especially with mm. this idea and like, so one of the so like one of some of my talking points like you like I was saying you know I focused on the lead up to the assassination and you know like you said they were so out of touch because they believed that they had a right to rule mm -hmm. Russia has not industrialized at this point the way yeah. other countries have it really still has its agrarian roots mm -hmm. you have a noble class that is so disgustingly opulent more yep. so than other countries in Europe. And they're still practicing like an absolute monarchy. Mm -hmm. And then 
you bring in this idea of a Tsarina who is German and doesn't really speak Russian very well. She doesn't get along with a lot of the nobles in the court. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's that. And then you bring in the kids that it took them five, because they have four girls and then they find yeah. a boy. And when they do have a boy, because that's enough, like if you have a, like you cover this in your paper, but for the people who don't know out there, obviously like there's emphasis on every queen to give a son. Mm-hmm. But this is really like a thing in Russia. Yeah. Because like, obviously there have been other monarchies that have queens on the throne. Mm-hmm. Russia was still like, no, listen, it's a male or nothing. Mm-hmm. So it took her like five kids to have a boy. So that was already on her on top of all the other things she has working against her. Yeah. And he's very, very ill. He's not mm-hmm. well. And that causes them to kind of pull back from society. Yeah. They um they really start to pull back, don't they? And that when you kind yes. of start layering all these situations on at once, this really starts to work against the family. And then uh, one of the documents I have that I gave Lauren for the show notes, it was a article that appeared in JSTOR and it was um like a material culture study. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like fashion and furniture one of the things they were looking at were nicholas's diary i say nicholas like he's my friend i know right it's so casual he's dead he can't hurt you good old nick (laughs) czar nicholas uh they were there were entries from his diary right before he got married while he's still a prince Mm -hmm. um or czarevich he lived a good life he is a Gilded Age or like a Victorian, whatever you want to call it, Gilded Age, Victorian era. He's a prince at a time where like being royalty really means something. Mm-hmm. So you can you can see how he's so out of touch. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's like a Nepo baby, like literally. Literally. <laughs> yeah, because yep. he, he, you know, and it, again, it's tragic because and like like I was reading in your paper and like I've seen in the research, mm-hmm. when he gets off the train and he announces his abdication, it's kind of like a then and there decision he makes. Yep. He had been toying with the idea, but it wasn't up until he receives like that last telegram from mm-hmm. the uh what is it, the Duma? Is that what they want? The Duma, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. The Duma that he's like, Oh, I really gotta step down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Like, th- that's another part of the perfect storm, too. The son having hemophilia, their one son who they, like, prayed for. And that's another thing, too, that, like, that's why Rasputin kind of hung around, because um, Alexandra believed wholeheartedly that, like, Rasputin's prayers were the thing that was keeping Alexei, the son, alive. And it was purely just coincidence. Like, there was one instance too where like um there's actually the the relationship between Rasputin and the Tsarina was really tumultu- tumultuous because Rasputin, after he got involved with the royal family, he became an alcoholic and um loose link loose lips sink shifts. Is that yeah, how it yeah. goes? Yeah. <laughs> that's how that that's thing it. goes. Yeah. Well, he she's also free- really a pious person because she's so for those people who don't know and i know you guys know this but she's the granddaughter of queen victoria and queen and she's yep. raised and that's another thing that's working against her on top of being german she's raised 
in the court of an English monarch because she's raised with Victoria. So Victoria is a very pious monarch, like, you know, real uh, religious, very, you know, what's the word? Conservative. That's what I'm looking yes. for. Very conservative. And um, the Tsarina is like that. So, yeah, go. I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, no, that's that's actually such a good point. It can matter of fact, too. When Queen Victoria, oh no, I'm sorry, when Alexandra married Nicholas, Queen Victoria wrote in a letter to somebody else. She was like, I am so scared for her. Russia is in such a bad state right now. She was like, there are threats to her life. There are threats to Nicholas's life. She's like, I'm so scared. And she was completely right to be scared. Um, so that's so important. Like Queen Elizabeth's influence on her and like her, that like um, really exacerbated her, her like, her need to be a good queen and like the feelings that she had of like needing to produce a son. But um, yeah, there's just, it's just the perfect, perfect storm, especially for like, like Rasputin to just sneak his way in and ruin stuff essentially. And like, there was a point in time where because of his drinking, um, he was like spreading rumors around about, he was like, yeah, I'm sleeping with the Tsarina, blah, blah, blah. That never happened by the way. Cause Zarina was number one, a faithful wife. And number two, she had sciatica and birthed five children. So there's like simply no way she was engaged in an extramarital affair. But he spread those rumors around anyways. And once that happened, the Zarina was like, nope, I don't want you coming back here. Then one day, Alexei gets hurt really bad in the carriage and his like hip and leg start like swelling and bleeding. He's like screaming. He's like literally on his deathbed. And she she's like, I don't know what else to do. So she calls, she telegrams for Rasputin. Rasputin responds and says, tell the doctors to stop bothering him. And then once they do that, he like gets better. But then, but nowadays though, if you look at that nowadays, it's probably because at the time, um, a new and revolutionary medicine came out and you and I mo might know it very commonly as ibuprofen. And they were giving ibuprofen to the kid who was who could not clot his blood. So that was making it worse. And so when Rasputin simply told the Tsarina, hey, just let them just let him be, that like literally did save his life because the doctors were kind of contributing to his blood thinning. You know what I mean? Um, so it's just like little coincidences like that. But then yeah, the Tsarina I was like, oh. Oh my God! No, he's for real. So <laughs> yeah, the fifty-fifty shot with that one. You know, no, either, either he dies or he doesn't. Rasputin is like quite a good gambler because he really just yeah. like wiggled his way to the royalty by by bullshitting. Sorry, can I swear on here? Of course no, you can. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but like that's also like something really good to bring up too because I feel like again when you're talking about the little crumbs that are like in our society, it even mm -hmm. says it in the song the lover of the Russian queen. Yeah. That's something that a lot of, because like when you think of a lot of monarchies, you think of like a marriage out of necessity. Yes. That is not the case. Like Nicholas mm -hmm. and Alexandra were really in love with each other. Like they were. they're one of the few like actual royal love stories that it was, there was a genuine affection and mutual bond between yeah. them. So mm -hmm. like that, you know, is another, uh, another, false thing that is out yes there. it's funny because that's like also that's like a good thing and a bad thing like it's good for the family 
and stuff, but it's kind of bad for the country because he listened so well. He was so good at listening to his wife, but the Russian people did not like that. They were like, you can't listen to a German woman. Right. So it must have been like, huh? You know what I mean? But he did that anyways. (laughs) And and saying like how we, and like on the topic of how we got here, like you said, he, he listens to her and then she people believe that she's listening to Rasputin. So it's yes. almost like this puppet master situation. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Nicholas was kind of the guy who, out of all his siblings, probably was, like, the least, I don't want to say the least qualified to rule. Yep. But he's he has a more sympathetic view now than he did then. Like, now mm-hmm. he's been coined as someone who's, like, a lover, not a fighter. Mm-hmm. Even I, I think even in my research they said like his father wasn't really sure he would make a good king. But if you, yeah. if you look at his upbringing and you read his diary entries and you look at the way he's raised, he never had a chance to practice being a king. Mm-hmm. He's out partying every night and living a good life, and then mm-hmm. gets married and his father dies. And actually, well, his father dies, then he gets married, and they're like, "Hey, mm-hmm. you're up, bud. Good luck." Yeah. Oh my God. No, that's actually a really good point. And his, I believe his father too is like a really notorious war general. And uh, Nicholas was like so hesitant to go to war. He waited till the very, very last minute to go to, to enter World War One, And he only did so once war was declared on Russia. Um, So he was like, nope, not doing it. But as soon as he he didn't even want to like quote unquote go fight, but like he did go with the soldiers and you know stayed back a safe distance and gave commands, which That's is like again pretty much ironic did. because if you look at all the other leaders who mm-hmm. stayed home, the one who gets the worst rap is the one who actually went into the front with his soldiers. yeah. It's so true, but it, it, it was just like the perfect storm brewing because he really was just, he, he was so out of touch with the times. And like, although the fact that he was, I think he was like a pushover too with people in like the aristocracy, but if you were like a peasant or something, he couldn't give a shit about you. And yeah. um, it was really reflective in the way that he just wouldn't revolutionize. That's a, a key point too. Like they were just stuck 50 years in the past. And he gave, he didn't give the people rights at all. Like he gave them absolutely nothing. And he he was so reluctant too with the Duma. Mm -hmm. He like, he was like, I don't even want this, but I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was like a consension because he knew like this was after bloody, well, this was after bloody Sunday, right? The Duma. And he, he Mm -hmm. realized that if he didn't realize the writing was on the wall, he was kind of starting to see the situation for what it is. And you're right, like, there was a real hesitancy on his part to do this. But I think he figured that was the only consension he would have mm-hmm. to make. Because he's like, oh, I gave you this. What more do you want? Because you're right, that that whole mindset of I am a divine ruler. It is mm-hmm. my God-given birthright to rule Russia. And another thing, too, like how we got here, if you look at his family lineage, he is cousins to the Kaiser of Germany. Mm-hmm. He's already related to Queen Victoria because King George, her son, is his cousin, and yep. his wife is related to Victoria. Mm-hmm. So this is very much a I come from noble blood. I married into noble royal blood. Like this is exactly mm-hmm. where we are supposed to be. Nobody has any right to contest where we are. 
Yes. Yes. It's so, oh, he really, he believed that all of that was literally like linked to God's plan. Mm -hmm. And yeah, all the bad things that happened. Oh, don't worry. It was just part of God's plan. It'll all come together. <laughs> and then he ended up in a bathtub with acid. He did. Unfortunately, it's so interesting because um, I actually have th this book right here. This one, it's called, kind of hard to see, but it's called The Murder of the Romanovs by Andrew Cook. And in this, he details like, how they dispose the bodies and my god oh it was just an absolute crapshoot and I, I was gonna oh, say it, it's it's a mess it's like yes. one of the messiest messes of an assassination murder ever yes it's so crazy like to think that literally like a few or even a year prior to them being murdered they were like the highest royalty in europe and then, boom, they were shot and killed in a basement and disposed of of the most gruesome way ever. By a bunch uh, of drunks. And nobody knew yeah. the truth. Nobody like, knew. That's that's another big thing is, like, if you look at the amount of coercing and fact-hiding or just blatant lies that the Bolsheviks came out with, mm. not only did you end a 300-year dynasty in a basement, but you kind of led the whole world around like a bull with a hook in its nose and just kind of told everybody like yeah he's to trial he's he's gone well you don't have to yeah. worry about it but i mean that's kind of lenin's mo right yeah. i mean if we've seen this le with lenin leading up to uh the october revolution and everything mm -hmm. and even after you know and stalin picks that up too it was you know that's where stalin gets all of his yeah. stuff from um but i found it fascinating reading your thesis how you definitely highlighted them that the soviets understood mm -hmm. press and use western press to spread war disinformation to get the spotlight off of them yeah mm -hmm. they like it's so interesting too because they like everyone wanted nicholas dead there's no doubt about that so what they had no issue at all with announcing yep nicholas is dead we killed him he's gone but then they kind of were reluctant to say what they did to the rest of the family because it's women and children like and like nicholas he was already seen as bloody nicholas so lenin didn't want to be seen as that too so that's why he left it kind of open-ended with the the women or the um with alexandra and the rest of the children he just said they were in a safe space but it was truly in his best interest to kill all of them because if one of them were to be alive and even if they were a, a woman, they could probably be like, no, I'm, I should be the legitimate ruler, not you. They could have, then the people of Russia could kind of bounce back and then support the monarchy again. So it was in Lenin's best interest to kill them all. And he knew that from the very beginning, he just kind of didn't know how, how to do it. Number one. And like how to tell people. So he just didn't. <laughs> I mean, and that, I mean, the truth is like stranger than fiction, you know? Like, they could have said anything happened, but the actual reality of what happened to them is absolutely horrifying. It's and so true. They mm -hmm. knew that, you know, like, this yeah. absolute chaos that happened. And the fact, too, that, like, everyone wanted Nicholas dead also contributed to the chaos. Because when, like, the Bolsheviks, they, like, you know, they... 
the Romanovs, they had been imprisoned. You know, Nicholas abdicated. They're now imprisoned. They're in the house in Ekaterinburg, you know, the house of special purposes, as it's called. Um, and they bring him down to the basement. And all the soldiers, they have like an assigned target. They're like, okay, you're going to shoot Alexei. You're going to shoot Anastasia. You're going to shoot like whoever. And then, but once they got down there, though, they all pointed their guns at the czar because they just wanted to kill the czar. They hated him. Um, so once they did that, Nicholas died instantly. But then once all the shooting happened, all the, the girls started screaming. Alexei started screaming. They started running around. Their old Russian guns jammed. Um, so then they had to resort to, like, stabbing them and just executing the girls in, like, this gruesome, gruesome way. There was, like, smoke everywhere. It was dark. It was bloody. They were stepping in blood. It was just so disgusting. Um, and the kids had to see all of that. And also, like, I say kids, too, because... Even Nicholas's children, although his like daughters were in their, I think they were in their mid twenties. I think when they died, or at least their late teens, they were they were very naive, very sheltered. Um, like he had no interest in getting them married to anyone. They, I don't think they were even considered for marriage. I think he just kept them very close and sheltered them. Um, so this must have been so traumatic. And like, I can't even imagine those last moments. Like I can't, um, but yeah, <laughs> just so, so tragic. And then, yeah, like I said, in this book, they describe how after all that happened, they were very careless and I don't know, I don't, what's the word? Disrespectful of their bodies. Um, but yeah, crazy stuff. <laughs> and so and this leads me because we talked about kind of media a little bit and we mm -hmm. talked about Western East, Eastern media. Do you think Western media held out to the held out that the family was still alive because they were anti-Bolshevik or because the Romanovs represented an old Western style monarchy? I think that is such a good question. And I think that's because it is because like we hold this hope for the western style monarchy i even feel like too we still kind of even 2024 like a lot of us even me like i follow closely what happens in great britain even though the the king <laughs> what does he do truthfully he's kind of just there but i feel like we like the idea of like royalty and formality and tradition and i think that once this like super bloody revolution happened that was like all lost um the thing is too is i don't think people hoped that like nicholas was alive but i think that they held out hope that the kids were alive because maybe then one could reappear and then like make russia better under a new monarchy or something like that um there could have been hope in terms of that but nicholas though he was a terrible czar um i i think that even in Russia, if they were like, can we please just have someone else as czar? I feel like they would have settled for that too. But Lenin was very enticing with his ideas of socialism. And if you're oppressed for that long, um, that those ideas sound very, very nice. And the idea of a monarchy sounds very outdated um, and archaic. So certainly. <laughs> 
One thing I do remember that we kind of said, but like you just said it and it jogged my memory again of like Nicholas being a terrible czar. When the threats to his life were coming more and more rapidly and even after he had abdicated and him and the family were placed under house arrest, he petitioned his cousin, the king, who now the king of England, King George, it's King George. Yeah, it is one of the George. Yeah, he, he did. He asked for asylum. And this is the difference between the two because George immediately is like, yeah, sure. And yes. all his advisors are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Like, mm -hmm. you're not doing so great with the public either. They already don't like your cousin. You're yeah. on thin ice. Like, you should not do this. And eventually he did end up listening to the people, listening to his advisors. Mm -hmm. And he rescinded his um, offer. His oh, thank you. His offer of <laughs> asylum. And I always think of that like, how would that have gone for either monarchy if the offer of asylum hadn't been, you know, taken back? Yeah, it's so it's so interesting because um, I actually recently like listened to a the podcast about that, the Noble Blood podcast about that. I you I like re-listened to those old episodes for research. They're so good. Shout out. Um, but yeah, she like she talked about how um like at King George was like, Yes, come on in. You're my cousin Nikki. Like, of course, your family, but then you're right, he actually he did his duty as king. He listened to his constitutional monarchy and was like I'm so sorry I can't like I have to think about my entire country and honestly if that's maybe a reason why we still have a king and queen in England like during that time revolution was happening all over the world um and it, it I cannot believe England prevailed in the sense that like we still have a king and queen today they lost all their imperial um like nations and stuff like that rightfully so but <laughs> they i think that was a really smart move of george to do unfortunately it must have been really difficult because he, since he like grew up with this dude this dude looked exactly like him they were <laughs> close they were very close so you're right like to have somebody that you grow up with and who is more of like a brother than a cousin mm -hmm. to kind of go through that and you got to think he might have had an inkling of what happened, but it wasn't until after, uh, you know, the, the Berlin Wall and Gorbachev that yeah. a lot of this information came out because the archives opened. So if you think about it, he never knew what happened to Nick. Mm -hmm. He might have surmised, but there was no confirmation. He just knew that he wasn't around one day. Yeah, like all they told the public was, they were like, there was a trial and Nicholas was executed, but there was no trial and he was like brutally murdered. He wasn't executed. I mean, I guess he was in a shooting sense, but it's like he was brutally murdered and that was carried out by orders from Lenin. It was like, like he knew, like they knew from the very, very, very beginning that Nicholas was not going to live long um, in the family too. That's why they, that's why they took them. Kettrenberg, if you look at that on a map, it's literally in the it's in the dead smack middle of nowhere in Russia. Um at the it's time like in Serbia, like in middle, middle of Serbia. Yep. At right now it's a little bit more it's like a kind of a tourist attraction because the Apetiev house is there, but like now, like back then it was literally nothing. 
Like the only thing was there was like a small little village and then their house that they built, um, which then they ended up killing them in. <laughs> but it's just so insane to see the flip from how quickly it literally happened in the course of like, what, three, four, five years. They were on top of the world in one minute and then in a basement being shot in another. It's It happened so fast. It just goes to show you how quickly life can change. Mm -hmm. So true. Which, what inspired you? Because towards the end of your master's thesis, you focus more on the forensic point of view, the DNA, mm -hmm. the the use of bones and scanning the bones and whatnot. What yeah. inspired you to take the forensic point of view in that? Because... I honestly, another, like, reason why I love true crime so much is, like, human beings lie all the time, but science truly doesn't, and for for nearly a hundred years, we just had words of people. That's all we had, and we had the words of a government that, like, took power very violently, um, and, like, there were, there were some, um, initially, too, when this first got reported, there were some um, Austrian press stories that like were like, oh, yeah, like the, the kids might still be out there, like they might still be alive. But there was one reporter from The Washington Post in the United States who was like, uh, I don't really believe what I'm hearing here. So he used he used like evidence from witness reports. Um, he was like photographic evidence. And he like talked to people in like a Ketrinburg, uh, people in the Bolsheviks and stuff to try to piece together what he thought might have happened to them. And he he came up with like, I think it was like four or five um, conclusions as to what he thinks might happen. And one of them was literally he was shot in the house in he was shot in that house in a Ketrinburg. Um, and it's so interesting because that came out in like the 1920s or 30s or something. Then years and years later, it's all verified by forensic evidence but it was just literally this one guy from the washington post who was like mm, are you sure about that i don't know was there really ever a trial i don't think so but that like it wasn't confirmed until dna evidence was released and even in the 90s too forensic science was like still kind of becoming what it is today so they didn't officially like make the final conclusions. I think it was until like 2008. Um, they like made the final DNA analysis. Um, but it's interesting too, because like questions about Rasputin's mysterious death too were also answered by science. Like in the podcast, um, you remember how she talked about how one of uh, Rasputin's appendages is like on display in a museum but it's not actually his because dna proved that it's not but for somebody sold it to this museum and was like this is rasputin's you know what <laughs> and they believed it yeah but it's just so funny hearing like things like that and it's debunked like don't they feel like fools after what? believing it <laughs> i mean twenty dollars is twenty dollars but my god <laughs> i mean we'll go and pretend that it says just for the memes but no, yeah, because it's like an it's yeah, it's like unhuman. And so I'm like, yeah, I guess that's Rasputin, you know what I mean? Mm. But um, yeah, that's the, the only thing like people had to go off of, though, was the word of the Bolsheviks. 
And like, oh, one second, let me see. And it just, it really does show the forensic evidence too. Once they found out what actually happened in disposing of the bodies, it kind of pieced together this really brutal, senseless murder, um, especially towards like the children and the family who really didn't have anything to do with Nicholas's ruling other than just being related to him. Um, that's like all they were guilty of. Um, so it's interesting too how we found out how the bodies were disposed of after we found them, right? Like they were doused in sulfuric acid multiple times. They kept going back. They would go to the burial site pour a little sulfuric acid on them, leave, come back, do a little more stuff with them, leave, come back. And they went back to the gravesite so many times to dispose of them very poorly. Um, and so a lot of bones and stuff like that remain. And also, um, when they were getting, like, before they were getting killed, the soldiers told them, hey, we're we're leaving. Like, get your stuff. We're going to leave. So they very, very slowly got ready. They, they were in like no rush at all. Lexi was not feeling great. Alexandra's sciatica was acting up, so she was not feeling great. So they packed up like everything they could. They stuffed their jewels in their clothes. Um, that's also another reason too why the daughters took so long to die is because they were, they had all these like metal things in their dresses and that's what the Bolsheviks were stabbing, their jewels. But they were buried with the jewels. So they, once they found all of those like royal artifacts too, it was really easy to piece that together. Um, but it's just, it makes me think of too, even like modern day crime cases and stuff. Like if you see like a person telling you what happened, but then they go back to the crime scene and it's totally opposite or it does corroborate their story, you know? Um, you just never know. Science just never lies. And I think that's like a really... I think it's a really important thing to connect like science and history together because then you know what's true. And the DNA, I mean, I'm a person that like also listens to true crime like podcasts and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, one of my partner Natalie's least favorite things about me is that I listen to unsolved cases as I fall asleep. Um, mm -hmm. It bothers her because she needs to know. She needs to solve the case with me. I'm like, yeah. if I fall asleep, it's still unsolved. But that's <laughs> neither here nor there. But I mean, it reminds me of even modern day through like ancestry, like the Golden State Killer got um, mm -hmm. identified through, you know, DNA testing. And it's just mm -hmm. like, I can only imagine, you know, I mean, how far we've come where now you can't just say, oh, just trust me. This is what things look like. This is what happened. Yeah. Um, and even today, I mean, yeah, taking almost 100 years to identify what in the world actually happened back then, what mm -hmm. happened that night. Whereas these days, I mean, I've got my fingerprints everywhere. It takes 30 seconds <laughs> to figure something out, you know. I know, right? I can't be go committing crimes. They're going to catch me. No, and I work <laughs> at a flower mill. Like, I'm covered in fruit <laughs> flower. Like, I just have, like, footprints that, like, following me around. Another thing, you ever see, too, how they catch some criminals using, like, cat hair or dog hair? That would get me. That'd be me. Like, 
I can't. Mm -hmm. I have dog hair all over me. So yeah, it is just simply. <laughs> so they'd walk into the house and my cat would somehow learn English and be like, yep. Was her. She did it. <laughs> she did um, it. <laughs> which well, makes you know, how many how many corpses are buried with rubies and gold and sapphire and this like, like right in Siberia too. Like, yeah, in the middle of in the, the poorest of part of Siberia. Yeah. Um, that was another thing you brought up in your paper that I found really interesting is the the accounts from the soldiers who carried out the act. Mm -hmm. They. In, in a very unfortunate, I'm not going to say that, I'll get canceled. Um, canceled. Say, yeah. <laughs> um, they were drunk. Yeah. They yeah. were drunk. So they didn't bury them as far into the woods as they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. So, and I think you said there were like, a, and I think you said this about the guy from the Washington Post as well, but there were eyewitnesses. Because they were so drunk, they were messing this up, they were making so much noise. There were yes. eyewitnesses who saw them doing this. Yes! It's so crazy! They, would, they were, like, burning the bodies, and one of the conclusions that that reporter made was, like, oh, they were burned alive. Because witnesses saw them being burned with sulfuric acid. Right. Like, they really were not trying to... They Why were they trying no cares. to hide it? But yeah, they didn't, didn't care. care. It's like... You're like, so is crazy. someone going to be upset about it? No. So we're just going to do what we want. Well, who's going to say horrifying. anything to them? What, you know, what are you, they're revolutionaries with guns and you're a Russian peasant that probably at right. the time, your, your most yep. industrialized thing is a pitchfork. And then, yeah, Kaiser Wilhelm is wreaking havoc on the rest of the world. So it's like, who cares? Who cares? George, George isn't going to come and save you with the bricks. Yeah. And but not only that, that's the power of fear. Like, you go from the fear of the monarch to now the fear of the Bolsheviks. Yeah. So, like, it's just fear on top of fear. And do I go and say something and now I look like I'm supporting the monarch and the white army when I'm not? Right. You know, and then I have the red army that's going to come through and guess who's going to burn their farm and scorch earth? Me. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's so, oh, that is, yeah, that is such a good point. Man, it's so crazy. I can't even, I always think about, though, like, what those last moments would have been like, like, as a daughter, you know what I mean? It's just so tragic. And That's Alexi, so too, he was probably thinking, he was probably like Nicholas in the sense that he's being told all his life, you're going to be king one day, you're going to be king one day, you're going to be king one day, and then this happens. Um, and not only that, I, yeah. think I, read, I think I read your thesis, um, when um nicholas realized that they were this was the this, they were not moving this was the end of the line he wanted alexi to be killed in his arms if i remember correctly right i can't remember that specifically off the top of my head but that makes sense i don't think he would want him to like go through any pain or anything like that i mean he already did throughout his entire life you know what i mean so that certainly makes sense but he was yeah, Alexi and Nicholas, I think, were one of the, were the first two to die. Nicholas, certainly the first. Um, but then after they all just pointed their guns at Nicholas, it kind of turned into chaos. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he was in denial. Like, not denial, but I know, and I've heard, I've heard this in other, I read this in other research, and I know you wrote it in your paper, that, you know, when they kind of took them to the basement and read this proclamation that, 
you know, on behalf of this revolution, you're going to be put to death. Mm-hmm. The girl starts screaming and he's kind of like, wait, what? Like he, He's like, read that again. Yeah, read, that again. read it again. Mm-hmm. Then he goes, no, wait, let me read it. He, he took it from them and read it himself. <laughs> I'm like, uh. Pure, pure <laughs> chaos. That is yeah. just, you think about it. And I think that's what draws you in on this tragic and despairing level is it's chaos from the minute they're told to pack because like you said they're taking their time mm-hmm. they think because they've been shuffled from one safe house to the next and this is like yes. their fourth stop at this point they think okay we're just going to another safe house pack up and from and then this chaos of who is supposed to shoot who who is screaming who right. is running around yeah well, and with, you know, in this type of revolution where a monarch is tossed out with his family has been seen since the French Revolution. There wasn't any monarchs were toppled during the 19th century, but not yeah. like this. You know, mm-hmm. like this has not been seen since French Rev. Lenin was really inspired by a lot of the French Rev ideas, too. Matter of fact, was it so- like he wasn't he was a Robespierre like Finiciato, wasn't he? He was, but he's he's so ironic because, like, he believes that, like, he's kind of like Nicholas in the sense that he, he believes that, like, the common folk are very dumb. He he thinks they're uneducated. He thinks that he really was, like, he, he was trying to create revolutions in other countries, I think, but then settled for Russia, kind of. Like, I really don't think he wanted Russia <laughs> But they were so they were in despair already. They were like the perfect, perfect revolutionary country for him to come into. But he really believed that the people were disorganized. He did not like how the Russians did their revolution. He thought that the regular Russian people were not fit to rule. He was like, it has to be the proletariat. And he he really thought, similar to Nicholas, that it was his duty to like rule the Russians. He kind of thought he was better than everybody else, but yet loved the French Revolution and the idea of like equality and freedom for people of a lower class and more rights for people of a lower class. But he also thought they were dumb. So he was very confusing. <laughs> I want to say that. There was, was a gonna, controversial comment I was going to make. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'll tell you all later. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you all through a dumb report. I was just going to say, he's like a prototype of um, Che Guevara. <laughs> Being like, I'm just going to go places and be like, freedom. You guys are all dumb. No, yes. That's what he tried it in Germany. I think they were like, hmm. They had the Kaiser still at the time. And then Get he was lost. like, hey, Russia, you guys are barely hanging on. How about some socialism? Well, <laughs> they I, there's a documentary I was watching on Netflix, and it's about um, some of the parallels between um, Lenin and Nick. Um, apparently, like, their family had crossed paths in not pleasant ways. Um, I guess yes. Nick's yep. dad, uh, not uh, Nick's dad, had executed Lenin's brother. Correct. Mm-hmm. And... Ooh. Um, Lenin had it in his brain along with all the the other socialist revolutionaries at the time that the monarch in Russia was so strong they would not be the ones to have a revolution. Yeah, Um, yeah. And so I think that's another part that kind of throws people 
off. I forgot all about that. Yeah. I remember they had beef prior to this. They did. Oh my well, god. That's rough. That documentary came out after your thesis, though, because your thesis came out in what, 2017, if I remember correctly? 2019. 2019? Wow. Only a yeah. couple of years off. Um, and that documentary came out, I think, in 2019, I think. So it was well, good well, timing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like getting slightly off topic. <clears throat> Did anybody ever watch The Last Czars on nope. Netflix? No. Dude, I, that came out the summer I was researching this project. And I was really? like, huh? I was like, what is the world? And it I love the way it portrayed Nicholas and Alexandra's emotions. Like when Nicholas abdicated the throne, like he was the actor was like shitting himself. Like he like, do you know what I mean? He was like so scared. He was about to cry. Like and I'm like, wow, that is really probably how that guy must have been feeling when he let go of 300 years of monarchical rule in an right. instant, in just a few words, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I've i never show. watched it. I really want to watch it. It's on I my Highly recommend. Oh, yeah. you'll love it. <laughs> I, have to, I have to watch it before Netflix, like, deep sixes it or something. <laughs> yeah. Getting yeah, that back. That was a really good one. Getting back to our questions, how do you think science, because when it comes to historical questions, we always rely on first-hand accounts, primary sources, um, bank records, and whatnot. How do you think science can help us answer these historical questions that could change our pres perspective or our understanding of something? Well, it, it leaves, I feel like historians, like, because we have only those sources of information for a lot of periods in history, like simply just primary sources or like records of things, we have to speculate a lot. And science, it really um, takes a lot of speculation out of it and just gives you clear and concise conclusions. Because um, you really can't dispute science. Um, so now we know that Nicholas and his family were murdered in a basement. But before... We didn't know what happened to the, the children who could be potential heirs to the throne. So that mystery was always kind of like left out in the open. And of course that would, I cannot believe there weren't more imposters, but there was like the case of that one imposter and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, we believe you. But obviously when the forensic evidence came out, it wasn't her. I, I really... I don't know if they believed her literally till the end of her life, but this woman came out and she was like in her thirties, like, or something like that. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Anastasia. And people were like, Oh yeah, you are like, they kind of didn't really question it, but now we can question it because we have tools to find clear and concise answers. Um, and I think that's really, really important for history, but unfortunately for historians, we do have to rely on so many primary sources. And that's another thing. Um, I think that's what a lot of the reporters relied on too when they were first reporting this. They were looking at diary entries. They were looking at, um, you know, court letters between the czar and Nicholas. And then, I'm sorry, the czarina and Nicholas. And then also the czarina and Rasputin. Those were rescue and he left no stone unturned. He literally like handed all his private letters with the queen to publishers and was like, here you go. Do with this what you may. But um, 
So a lot of that information was readily available to the reporters. So they could, you could obviously see that the, something bad was going to happen. Um, and even like Queen Victoria, like I mentioned too, she saw it coming from a mile away, even when they got married in I think like 1890 something, it was before the turn of the century. And before all 20 years before all this happened, um, and she could even see it looming. Um, and so I think that that's what the, that's what's really important about having forensic science is that it can give us really concise conclusions to things that we like kind of already expect. Um, and yeah, I think it ties in really, really nicely, like with this whole topic. And I really feel like this, this murder shocked the world because it's not like of course, even in our country too, if a if a person is murdered or, or like a family member or something, like I think about the um the Chris Watts case a lot for some like when he killed his wife and like two kids and tried to pin it on the wife. I think about that like that was all over the news and stuff. I cannot imagine how much this consumed the news when like they found out that there was no more Russian monarchy in whatever way like they were just like nicholas is dead and the rest of the family they're in a safe place that must have been everywhere um like absolutely everywhere completely saturated in all the newspapers and i also think too this is kind of a teeny bit off topic but i was just thinking about this um like you think about how nowadays how um even people who are in power nowadays, they seem so out of touch. Um, like our our boy Vladimir Putin, that guy is so out of touch with reality, but he's still he's a modern day ruler in 2024. Um, I cannot imagine how out of touch Alexandra and Nicholas were. Like they had they they were like kind of recluses too to an extent because like maria mentioned too once people started to be like hey like why is rescue in there why don't we ever see alexi they just they they just retreated more um so they became so reclusive they're probably not hearing a thing about what's going on in the russian public you know they were hearing it i think there was a genuine willingness to not accept it because it's almost such like a good point. no evil see no evil you already think the public is you know has no higher cognitive function than a dog You're, yeah you believe that you're you know divinely inspired in this position and the fact that lexi did have something to hide mm -hmm. couldn't because if you had if you go out and tell a public that's already you know dying for an opportunity to take you out yeah you have the nickname of bloody nicholas you go out and tell the public hey your heir to the throne is a hemophiliac yeah um probably mm -hmm. won't live past 16 17 well but not only that i also think there's a there's a memory component there too you know at the, at mm -hmm. that rate the russian people never really had maybe not since Ivan the Terrible had a reclusive czar. And with the czar yeah. being out of the public eye, he's not there to defend or refute anything. And these speculations are allowed to, no matter how unfounded they are, um, 
are able to take root in the people's brains are able to make them real because no mm-hmm. one's saying otherwise. Which That's then so true. Yeah. impacts that the, memory. I even think with the Duma too, like the fact that he was like not only was he reclusive, but like the Duma was there. So they they were still operating and having conversations without him. So they're probably thinking like, hey, like we don't need a czar. Like we're doing this all by ourselves, type of thing. And so I think like previously too, he's he's met with that unique challenge too of having a like a constitutional like body kind of. Um, I don't know if it's like that, like structurally, but it is kind of it is some kind of non-absolute rulist system like other people have said they're very rich and probably aristocratic and like also out of touch with society most likely but it's something and I he, think the Juma he, was a little bit better than Nick yeah yeah <laughs> I agree I, and I've been saying it a lot but every time we keep talking about the Duma and then Nicholas's power I keep thinking of the French monarchy and the attempts of reform Mm -hmm. just prior to everything going to hell and it just again you said earlier history doesn't repeat itself but it rhymes and Mm -hmm. every the more we talk the more i see the french revolution within the russian revolution yeah it's it's literally so interesting too and the fact that other monarchs could see this coming it's like red flags red flags but Nicholas, he couldn't see them. I don't know. He was wearing rose-colored glasses. He he could never, ever, ever see any a red flag. He's like, no, it's just a flag. It's fine. <laughs> but and in the words of Haley William, uh, Haley Williams, he's a rose-colored boy. Nice, nice, nice. very nice. Good job. I think the idea of being told from infancy that you're inspired by God to rule. Mm-hmm. This is a, that can really mess with you, especially when you and you have family that's also on other thrones in Europe. That yep. you, if you're brainwashed to believe this, you could really buy into the fact that nothing could ever happen to me because mm-hmm. no matter how terrible of a job I do, I'm supposed to be here. And my yeah. and your family has been doing it since the 1610s. Literally. So like, yeah. Nothing yeah. bad could possibly happen. Nothing bad's happened yet. It could and never happen own, to me. Right. And all of my other family is on an extended throne somewhere else. Right. Yep. So this is what we do in my family. We rule the world. You have your little corner. I have mine. Then some drunk people said, I don't think so. Yeah, literally. No, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That sounds like what happened in America. Like they, the British, like did some taxes, and some drunk people were like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh." We're yeah. that. <laughs> For more information on that, listen to our episode with Benjamin Carp. <laughs> yes, if you want to know more about how when you uh, want to fuck around and find out. <laughs> literally, the definition sometimes. Yeah, that's what Rasputin did. He like. He fucked around, around and found out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he really did. I feel like that's the tagline for Russia for the past, like, I don't know, 100 years. Do we yeah. know what happened to him, Crystal? Like, what happened to him after the Romanovs? Oh, yes. Yeah, so the song will was... tell you, Maria. Come on, listen to the end of the song. 
They shot him until he was dead. So that's that's my thing is the song actually factual. Like, is that how and what happened? He, like, um, they, yeah, there was, like, a plot to kill him. There were some, like, nobles in the Duma who were, like, dude, we have to get rescued out of here. This dude is absolutely ridiculous. So they, like, invited him to, it was, like, this one aristocrat who planned it. I forget his name, but he never planned, he has never done a like crime in his life and he's plotting the murder of Rasputin who's like a close advisory to the Tsar and Tsarina so um they tried to poison him so they put like poison in his wine and when they did the autopsy later on afterwards but he he drank the whole bottle of wine they didn't find any poison in his body and people are like oh it's because of the mysticism, but historians think it's, like, because this dude who carried out the execution was so naive and stupid and, like, probably a Nepo baby, they probably sold him, like, fake poison, poison that, that didn't work. Like, it was probably just, like, a sugar pill or something. Like, you know what I mean? Um, or th- they also speculate, too, that, like, because there's, like, a team of people, the person who was supposed to lace the wine had a change of heart at the last minute and decided not to. But I think it's the former. I think he was sold full tea poison because that seems like the most. I I feel like he would be fooled by that. It doesn't like this guy does not seem like the type of guy who would verify that the poison's real. You right. Know I mean? The Russian the Russian nobility was not exactly you know streetwise. They're no like way. Said, they're very they're very opulent. They're very snooty. They're very you know high living high on the hog. And they have yeah. no they have no reason to step down or look around. It's yes. probably some like bathtub poison. No, literally. And it didn't even work either. Like there were people like he was convinced he was given arsenic. And so like after people were like, oh, the arsenic isn't affecting him or whatever, people were like, oh, he must have developed an immunity to it, but you cannot do that. That is like it, not real. And so he wasn't he wasn't dying, but he was drunk out of his mind. And so it's funny. Like I listen uh, the Noble Blood podcast by Dana Schwartz talks about this a lot too. And um, she says that the guy who's like hosting the party, like Rasputin's not dying, so he's just like still there, like hanging out. And he's like, my God, he's like this guy is so annoying. Please. I need to do something. And then so he has the audacity to be the guy that won't leave the party. <laughs> yeah, that's Rasputin, but they also threw it for him. So it's like, I, it's so funny. Like They threw it for him to kill him. So then they're like, screw it. Then they just start shooting him. Um, He like kind of is incapacitated. Like he's still breathing. Blood's coming out of his mouth. His eyes are open at this point. They drag his body to a lake. And then put him in the lake and like they tr- they tied him up too. um like his arms were bound to his body when he was tied up when they found the body in the river his arms were like up like this the rope was tied around his body um but there was no water in his lungs so they they think that he was dead before he hit the water but how did his hands get out of the how did the thing so yeah. it was just that's how he ultimately he ultimately died of like they say from the autopsy and again this was an autopsy done in like 1914 so it's not incredibly accurate but they said he died from um the gunshot wounds in because mm-hmm. he didn't they did not find any water in his lungs so that's how he died 
so interesting. See, <laughs> he should have taken Bartok to the party. He would have had better. He would have had a better time. Maybe he wouldn't have gotten. You know. I know. Killed. All he does is just trash the Zarina when he's drunk. It's so annoying because she confides in him her like deepest emotions, and then he's like, "Ugh." The Tsarina digs me, man. Check out these, like, love letters. And they're not love letters. All they are, they're just saying, like, you're my dearest friend. You're the reason why I have hope in the future. Because she thought that he was keeping her son alive. That's, you know, that was it. Right, right. <laughs> Very naive. But people, obviously, people can think things and run with things. Even what, what, sometimes it's fun to speculate things nowadays, but well, like you said, I think you you hit the nail on the head when you said loose lips sink ships. Mm-hmm. The power obviously went to his head, and you know he's on a power trip. He's a, a Russian priest who was born a peasant, who's yep. now you know advising the Tsar and Tsarina on their ill son. So mm-hmm. that can go to your head very quickly. Yep. And when you have the ear of a population that already doesn't like one half of the couple, and yep. by being so recluse, it looks like they have something to hide anyway. So now they're saying, oh, we, we're having an affair. Their son is not well. The daughters worship me. Yeah. yeah. It's sick. He was, he was really creepy, but... Oh. Also, too, the Zarina was so naive and believing everything he said. Like, but it was just all these stupid little coincidences that would, like, verify her beliefs. And she's like, yep, that confirms it. (laughs) Perfect storm. Yep. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We appreciate our listeners and all the support that we have received. Crystal, thank you for coming on and spending some time with us. It was really great. When we first thought of this podcast, one of the first episodes we said that we wanted to do was have you on so that we could talk about this fantastic thesis that you wrote. Oh, my God. I'm so honored. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I like (laughs) I love it. Wow. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This was so fun. It's been like honestly a grip since I've just like sat down and talked history and I'm kind of realizing how much I miss it um so we'll definitely have to do this again like let me know if you guys want to do another topic with me or something I'm so down um yeah but yeah um my my name's Crystal um my socials is I'm really just on Instagram mostly kpg underscore 715 you can find me there yeah thank you so much i'm thrilled and honored oh my gosh (laughs) absolutely and if people want to read your thesis where can they read it i will put it on the website thank you very much (laughs) lauren for the win thank you that might be easier (laughs) much easier so yes so crystal's paper will be in our show notes and of course you are always welcome anytime like we said thank you for joining us Please rate, download, review, and subscribe to the show wherever get, wherever you get your podcasts. It is a small and simple thing that you can do to help out the show in a big way. If you would like to interact with us, there are several You can reach us on our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Operation Hist. Once again, that is at Operation Hist. You can shoot us an email at Operation History Podcast at gmail.com or you can view us on our website 
at operationhistorypodcast.wordpress.com. All of our sources and show notes from this episode will be uploaded for your transparency. Thanks again for joining us, and this is Operation History signing off. Do 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 do